Welcome to Pandemic Poetry. My name is Silvia Canton Rondoni and I'm your host at Borani Radio. Pandemic Poetry reminds us of the value of creativity during lockdown. Our program will start with a poem reading, followed by a chat with the poet, and then we will introduce the book where the poem can be found. This week we are reading A Hard Poem to Market by poet P. Scottier. This poem was published in her poetry collection Atelier, published in 2020 by Guinea Derra Press. After a chat about the poem, we will talk to Penelope about her poetry work. Our reading this week is A Hard Poem to Market by poet P.S. Cotier. Content warning, please note the following poem contains dark themes. A Hard Poem to Market. This poem does not have a spacious deck for entertaining after a hard day's reading itself. It lacks a million dollar view of surrounding majestic mountains or even filtered sea glimpses. A poem like this boasts no walk-in wardrobes, parents' retreats, media rooms or en-suites. European appliances do not grace the non-existent kitchen in this poorly equipped poem. Similarly, the benchtops are neither marble, stainless steel, stone-rich or indeed extent. This poem's location is not convenient as there are few shops, schools or parks nearby. Public transport does not run within a stone's throw of this poem's old invisible front door. Although this poem contains three words with the letter X in them, it lacks a so-called X factor. Speaking of letters, its letterbox is shaped like a snail. That is both a lie and a poor joke. The poem's garden lacks any sign of birds, toads, water features, trees, grass, or space. The curtains that cover the windows of this poem are all wonky, smoke-colored Venetians. A real estate agent has hanged himself using the cords of one of the poem's most ugly blinds. One window has a yellowed sheet of newspaper crumpled and pushed into a large hole. That improvised plug is made from a page of the real estate section of last week's local newspaper. Out of curiosity, you remove the paper and smooth it out to see if it reports something interesting. That is because you do not know until smoothing it that it is from the real estate section. It will not be interesting, but will contain far too many details about a hard poem to market. Your hopes of finding a bargain are flattened. You leave by that bland, elusive front door. And after that wonderful poem, I'd like to introduce our poet this week, P.S. Gautier. She has a PhD and a law degree, Neither, neither of which helped with the writing of poetry. She co-edited The Stars Like Sun, Australian speculative poetry, described as one of the kind in the Sydney Morning Herald, and has written six full-length collections, The Glass Violin, The Cancellation of Clouds, Utterly, Monstrous, and Quite Bright Things, Poems of Fantasy and Myth. Her poetry has been published in Canada, India, Japan, the UK, and the US, as well as in Australia, and she is currently the poetry editor at the Canberra Times. Thank you for joining Pandemic Poetry over on Radio, Penelope. Thank you so much, Sylvia, for having me as a guest. 
It's my pleasure. Could you tell us a little bit of how this poem came together? Yes, certainly. I believe it was first in Cordite and the theme was toil. Mm-hmm. I, I thought about that uh, topic and it seemed to me, it just came to my mind how I'd been reading the terrible advertisements that real estate agents put in the paper for properties where uh, a tiny flat is described as uh, easy maintenance or um, the slightest view of a tree is called sweeping bush views, that sort of exaggeration, which um, is inevitable when we have capitalism controlling the housing market. And from that, I decided to have the poem itself as a property as uh, something that the reader is being led through with the potential view to buying it or renting it. So I just brought those two ideas together. Of uh, And also, I suppose, the marketing of poetry. We're always sending things off to editors and seeing if they're accepted. It's funny you mentioned that because when I first read the title, um, when I was looking at your work, and I read a hard poem to market, I was like, oh my God, that is so upfront because it's so many times that I felt that way that I'm trying to send poems somewhere to submit or even like in a collection. And there is always the one or two pieces that are like almost too hard. They're like, well, are you sure you want this here? Are you sure this is going to fit within the, you know what I mean? And yeah, I, once I've read it, I can totally see the, the hyperbole that, that you were describing, that exaggeration, you know? Um, and the poem as a property, though, I did not realise it until you say it. That's fascinating. Mm. And uh, I think, yeah, so it's certainly tied into that whole thing of um, the fears we have in sending off poetry to editors. And it's interesting to think if I see the editor as the real estate agent, hopefully not, but now I'd be... Um, including myself in the category of agent, I suppose now I am editing poetry myself. Mm. What's that been like being on the other on the other side of the I've referred to this in a piece I wrote somewhere I can't remember where where called Moving to the Dark Side of the Desk <laughs> when I was <laughs> editing the stars like Sam, which you mentioned, which is a speculative uh, poetry collection. Mm-hmm. Um, that was back in 2014. And in some ways, I really don't like being the person who says no in particular to people. But mm-hmm. then again, someone, it seems, has to take that role, given that we're not all just um, publishing on our blog or our other social media. That is something I do. I try and publish a poem myself once a week on my blog. Uh and yet we all want to centre things perhaps a little bit more permanent or perhaps even to have other people's opinion of our poetry manifested in whether it's accepted or not. And so I find it quite difficult, the poetry editing, but it is wonderful to have poems I really like appearing and also in a newspaper, which um, it's one of the very few newspapers to still carry poetry. 
I found very interesting what you just said about like, you know, you do once a week, you aim to post something in your blog, which by the way, listeners, you have to check that blog out because it's so, it's so much stuff in there. It's so prolific. Like Penelope does not stop writing. It's making everyone else in the poetry community look bad. <laughs> um, that, find- makes it, oh, yes. that makes it sound like diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, seriously, I, I really, really enjoy it. Um, I wanted to make a comment on what you were just saying about posting your po- your um, poetry on your blog, which is it's actually funny because it's a conversation I had with my own publisher before my collection came out um, this year, that anything that I was going to put online before the book was out or like, you know, it will be completely unmarketable because it will not be put into a book later unless it's a book of like the poetry that I have done through my life kind of way like a like a wider collection kind of way that you think about when you're late in your career and it's like no 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 you want to keep those to yourself and then put them in a book and then market the book or just submit them separately but don't put them in a blog don't put them on social media what's your take on this well I suppose that certain of the poems that have been uh, on my blog have ended up in books so it may just be that different publishers have different views on that. Certainly I um, identify that poems have been on my blog when I send off a manuscript. Um, I have been going through recently looking at all the poems that have been on my blog and getting that together in a potential manuscript. But um, uh, I, I think so long as you pointed out to the publisher, it would depend very much on the individual publisher's point of view on that. But certainly you're right, it's counted as published. And I would never submit to a uh, a place that asks for unpublished poems only. I would not send them there. And that's something to bear in mind. People should be aware of that, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, perhaps because I... I'm writing quite a bit. I'm quite happy for them just to be on the blog. Mm. Um, Probably they get more readers than the average poetry publication there. (laughs) Have you found you have as much time to to, um, write as you used to have since you started at the camera times? Uh, No. Um, Particularly, I think, as I'm just starting there, I've only been there since. June, so what's that, four or five months, mm. something like that. I think it will become a little bit easier as I progress um, and know the systems and so on. But there's always difficulties when taking on a new role. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the writing, I've been doing a lot of writing recently during lockdown. Um, in some ways, I'm finding it very depressing, the experience of lockdown. But in other ways, I'm trying to channel that into writing rather than um, letting depression overwhelm me. Is that poetry or are you writing into other genres as well? Uh, I write reviews quite a bit of other people's books for, again, the Canberra Times. But I have been doing a lot of my own poetry and working on a, a joint manuscript with another poet as well. Great. Yeah. There we go. Looking forward to hear about that one. Well, we're going to leave it there before we start talking about Artily, which is the book where this poem was included, because that's for the second part of this, the program. So just keep listening and we'll get there very shortly.
In the second segment of Pandemic Poetry, we will focus on Penelope's poetry collections. So I want to start this segment, Penelope, if that's okay, um, just referring to one of the quotes for Utterly, which was published um, in July last year by Guinea Press. The quote is by Judith Nangala Crispin, and it goes as follows. P.S. Coutier is not an easy poet. She does not place nicely with the other poets. It's not domesticated. Utterly is the work of a significant Australian writer. It is also the work of smoking, muscle car-loving, cleverous camera girl. They were simply truthful, terrifying, and funny. I defy any poetry lover to read these poems and not fall a little in love with the author. That's quite the quote. <laughs> uh, Judith is someone whose poetry I admire greatly, so I was so delighted when she agreed to write the preface to this book. And yes, I like that quote. <laughs> I think that's the quote all of us want in our poetry book. At least I know I do. <laughs> it's marvellous. Goodness. So could you tell us a little bit how Atterley came together? Yes. Uh, it had actually been several years since I'd had a full, full-length collection of my work published. And many of the poems were previously published in various journals such as Cordite or Plumwood Mountain and mm-hmm. smaller journals such as the Mozzie, which is a friend, um, something I really like. Mm-hmm. And I just looked at things that have been published and see, saw if they seemed to speak to each other, if there was a collection. Um, and certainly there was. Most of the poems have been previously published, but not all of them. And it has, I think, my longest poem ever published at the back, which was 100 or more Holes in My Bucket, which was at Ferrachila. I more or less divided it into more personal poems in one section and more political or environmentally themed poems in another section. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I didn't want to make that division absolute because it's a very false division between social factors and ourselves. But I just wanted to have one division. So the second section which looks at myself a little bit more is called Further Near. And the first is called Taking the Temperature of Time, which has a lot of poems about climate change in it. Interesting. So we have um, climate change in inside the, the utterly as well as social themes and poets about yourself. That's a very interesting yeah. mix. Yeah. Um, well, again, I think at this time we can certainly see it's brought home to us with the pandemic mm. how uh, wider social factors are not different from what affects our body, our personal self. It brings it home very directly, but these poems, of course, were written before the pandemic, but they also look at things like climate change and how that affects each of us, even though we tend to push those wider ideas away. Hmm. Yeah, especially now since, like, you know, lockdown has returned 
once again, what has returned to us in Canberra, like other people have been <laughs> locked down in for months and months and months, and we really feel it for our, like, you know, the rest of the country for that. Um, but it, it's really like it makes everything else diminished, doesn't it? Like um, I haven't seen anything on climate change on the news or anything for a while now. I mean, I know that I watch the news that, that closely, but it's all about numbers these days and about like, yeah, all this thing. Um, it's interesting because I have been writing a lot of politically themed publishing, uh, sorry, poetry during lockdown. So... Perhaps that ability to have more time to reflect on things has brought even things from um, other parts of the world home, but whether that's a typical reaction or an unusual one, I can't really say. Would you agree with me? And this is something I have seen online before as well, being referred to that since the pandemic has started, poetry has gone out in, in a way that hasn't in a very long time. Um, and it's exactly, I think it comes down to what you were just saying, like, you know, it's down to self-reflection and down to all of that. Because, I mean, personally, that's where my poetry comes from. My the, the book that I put together was from, like, a whole year and a half of my life that was just everything were in shambles. So I had to, like, pick up the pieces and made a puzzle out of it. And it was just that that book is basically that puzzle, you know. Um yeah, how 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 you feel has affected because you've been writing for a very long time poetry. How have you felt it has changed your process? Uh, possibly it's changed my process a bit less than certain other people in that I don't work every day in an office. So the changing um, way that many people have to work at home hasn't particularly affected me. Mm. Um, it's changed my routine slightly, but I just seem to be producing a lot more than often at the moment. Um, whether that's because this slight feeling of dread that I am experiencing, and I think a lot of other people are feeling, the, the uncertainty, mm. um, as you were saying, it makes me look at things and perhaps find poetry in that. But um, a lot of my poetry, I think, pushes off or finds a way to express personal things in a slightly more abstract way, um, which may just be sublimating things I don't want to look at in a, a directly personal way. But... Um, Certainly, I'm getting a lot done, to put it crudely at the moment. <laughs> so you were saying lockdown has made you more prolific then? Um, I think so, yes. Well, that's, that's not a bad thing, after all, is it? <laughs> but I'd rather, I'd rather it wasn't based on this deadly disease circulating in the community. Oh, I know. I feel you. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I have a few wonderful notes about um, all your other poetry collections. Uh, particularly, we have, uh, we got your first two, which were The Glass Bell and The Cancellation of Clouds. And then we have Quite Bright Things and Monstrous. Now, Monstrous is, uh, it was published in the same year as Atelier, uh, for what I yes. saw on the dates. Now, how, I mean, two books in a year. I, I don't know this year, but they both were in my books. One I was putting poets together, and the other one was my book. And I don't know how hard that is. How did you manage? Like, Well, again, because a lot of the poems for both books 
probably more utterly had been previously published. Uh, I just sat down and looked at all that, and one seemed to be more speculative in genre, the horror or dark fantasy poems which ended up in monstrous, and the other, the more political poems and some personal poems in utterly. In a way, that's a false distinction because there are certainly speculative elements in a lot of my poetry. I would say even the one we read at the beginning had a a slight speculative tinge to it. Mm. But um, they just seem to divide that way. And I managed to have two books published in the year of lockdown, (laughs) which means at first no uh, public launch, only an online launch. But fortunately we managed to do one later in the year when lockdown was lifted in Canberra, Mm -hmm. which was great Um, with the two people who wrote introductions to the books were the launches. Uh, We've mentioned Judith, but also Karen Warren, who's a very well-known horror writer, did the introduction to um, Monstrous. Mm. um, And that's one thing I really missed during lockdown, which is the live reading. Um, Zoom has its place, but I really miss having an audience that responds to the poetry so you can modify how you read mm. and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I've been missing, like I'm a, I'm a weekly um, listener at the poetry event, the Smiths, and I've been missing like the last one before the lockdown I didn't attend because I had university work and then I realised it, it was gone. And they're still doing it online, but it's just not the same, like, you know. And uh, they, they have such an atmosphere in there as well. It's like, oh, my God, I'm counting down the days until hopefully um, they say now it's October 15th um, to go back there and, like, you know, try it out again and go up into the stage and, you know, read some more poetry. I, I think for some people, Zoom has been really good in, in mm-hmm. terms of people who have problems accessing venues, like either physically or through even financial reasons or not wanting to go outside. So that's a great thing we should remember, but I personally find it very limiting. Mm, absolutely. I'd like to make a, a little stop, if we could, uh, in um, your collection, Quick Breath Things, Poems of Fantasy and Myth, because you have a quote by the Science Fiction Poetry Association it's, that says that um, this collection was called An Elegant, elegant Carriage Ride Through a Department Store of Social Criticism. And with what you just talk about, it seems to me that it's a bit of a hybrid between utterly and monstrous in like in a chapbook kind of size. Um, yes. would, you, would you mind commenting on that? Um, I'm just grabbing the book as we speak because I haven't looked at that one for a little while. This is, um, I'm starting to forget what the collections include. Um, But this is something I I do like writing speculative poetry, as you know. Mm -hmm. And this was my first purely speculative collection, which is a chapbook. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it covers everything from flight to the, the way it has people growing wings. It has various uh, characters such as Rapunzel retelling their tale. And it has a bit of a feminist uh, edge to some of these retellings. 
Um, so there is the political even in fantasy poems. Mm. There, I, I don't think that there has to be a division between the political and the fantasy or the poem set in a slight future. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, all readers of uh, science fiction will know these things. But uh, it's nice to play around um, with yeah. slightly different realities to express uh, views on our current society. Mm. Yeah, and, I mean, science fiction and fantasy have always been um, tools by many writers um, before us to um, towards social criticism. Like, uh, yep. you know, like, absolutely. So that's, uh, well, that, that was a wonderful wonderful um breakdown of uh, of your books the last two we have in the list are probably the first ones you wrote and i'm not really sure how much you might remember about them uh the glass violin and the cancellation of clouds but um if you can give us like maybe five cents a little bit uh, just for our listeners i think my first book the glass violin i threw absolutely everything into it uh that i'd written uh, looking back, I think some of the poems hold up well. Some probably I would approach slightly differently now. Mm. But I think that's inevitable if you're working on something for, what is it, nearly 15 years or something wow. like that. Um, yeah. You will find different approaches during that time. And I think it's important to look back with the same compassion in a way. You would look back at a person producing their first poem or sending in a poem to you, it's important to look back on yourself mm. um, and have a certain amount of tolerance for what you now not write. Um, I was so excited when that first volume came out. I think nothing can quite equal that. Your first book in print. Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, I think that it's almost like some people are equal to having your first child. But yeah, it's it's quite it's quite a shock. That is true. Yeah, I got my first one out this year, and it was just I still can't believe it's in a shelf. Like, I, I wrote I wrote a poem which does compare uh, your first book with your first child, which was written. Oh. Um, yes, I had definitely had my daughter by that, so she would have been eight by the time my first book came out. Oh, but, wow. Um, yeah, it was making jokes about the spine, comparing it with a baby's spine and mm-hmm. yeah, two elegant footnotes compared with the face of a baby and that sort of thing. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's a long time since that first book. And as I said before, I am getting to the stage where I forget which poems have been included. Mm. Uh, I'm just flicking through quick, bright things. I just saw that one poem I thought was previously unpublished in print is in fact published in print. So, <laughs> well, it's going to keep in your toes now. I'm going to have triple check it everything. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we'd like to thank our guest, uh, Poet, for taking the time to be here today. Um, you can find Penelope's work uh, on her weekly web blog post, as we were mentioning earlier, and on her website, and also through Getting Dara Press and through Interactive Press. And um, if you have anything else to add, Penelope, before we say goodbye? I'll just mention my uh, my blog is pscotia.com. Okay. And um, uh, that's about it. I think I've really enjoyed our discussion today. It was lovely having you. Thank you.
again and you've been listening to Pandemic Poetry. My name is Sylvia Canton Rondoni and I've been your host at Boroni Radio Station. Tune in next week to discover new poetry and poets for your new normal.